Let's pray and then look at these great chapters together. Our gracious Father, we thank you again that your word is alive and active uh, and that it teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us and trains us in righteousness. We pray that your word would do this now and remind us of the glory of our Lord Jesus uh, to your praise and honor. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm the first to admit that my building skills are really not that up to scratch. Uh, Don't get me wrong, I'll give anything a go. Give me a tool and I'll just like hack into the wall and and have the best time ever. But really, the only thing that I know how to do is is drill holes. Uh, Our brother Rick has taught me well. Um, But I haven't really practiced enough to even get good that on a on a regular basis i'll drill a hole for something and then i have to go to drill the second hole and then they just don't line up at all and so and they're scratching my head saying how do i fix this give me a guitar and i'm fine give me a saw or a drill and i'm less fine let's just say that king solomon would be very glad that i was not working on the temple building project we see in these chapters That's what we're looking at in 1 Kings today. Uh, But we need to remember the story so far. Uh, Last week was our first week in 1 Kings, and there's two big things that we saw happen then. And both of them are about God's promises. So the first thing we saw was Solomon is king. Remember, King David, he's old and he's nearing the end now, and there's a bit of a bid for power. Who will be king? But David, along with some help from others, will they make sure that the right man is on the throne? Solomon, David's son, is made king in Israel. And so Solomon says this in uh, chapter 2. He says, As the Lord lives, the one who established me, that's God, he has seated me on the throne of my father David and made me a dynasty as he promised. Solomon is well and truly king, all according to God's promise. But then we get the second thing we saw last week. Solomon is wise. And again, this is God fulfilling his promise. Solomon asked God for one thing, wisdom to obey God and to lead, his people, lead the people of Israel. And so God said to Solomon, he said this in chapter 3. He said, I will give you, Solomon, a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. And then God did it. He kept his word. Uh, In time, chapter 4, we read this. He, Solomon, was wiser than anyone. His reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. And so we start to see God is keeping his promises. Solomon is king. Solomon is wise, just as God promised. And so that leads us to our chapters today. What did wise King Solomon do with this wisdom from God? What is the greatest thing that Solomon did, the wisest achievement? Well, today we see the most significant thing that he did in his reign. And it's this, Solomon builds the temple. I don't think we can really underestimate just how massive this is. This really is one of the biggest things in all of Israel's history. That's why there's four or five chapters about it. It could have been said in just one sentence. Solomon built the temple and it was really good. But no, we have all these detailed chapters about it. Chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. 
And you can see how important it is if you look in chapter 6, verse 1. So look there in your Bible, chapter 6, verse 1. Solomon began to build the temple for the Lord in the 480th year after the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt. So here, 1 Kings, it looks all the way back to the Exodus. This event, the building of the temple, looks all the way back to that event. It's measured against the Exodus. That's how important it is. This is the biggest thing to happen since that big thing 400 and something years ago. And it's a big thing because finally, God's people are fully established in the promised land. With a wise king, with peace in the land. And so now... It's time to build a permanent home for God, for his glory and for his honor. So the plan today is just to see the big picture of these chapters and kind of skate through them and dip in at different points to see what God's word is trying to show us in these chapters. And of course, you can reread them all again for yourself later, chapter five to nine. Uh, But what do we see? Where are we headed? Uh, The building project goes ahead in four phases. Phase one, Solomon prepares for the building work. Phase two, he he actually does the building work. Phase three, we see the dedication, the ceremony for the temple. Excuse me. Phase four, we see God's response to all of this. And as with uh, many great stories, uh, this one starts with a bit of politics, uh, which Emma read out before. Come come with me to uh, chapter five, where we see... Solomon prepares to build the temple. In chapter 5, we met this man, Hiram, the king of Tyre. Tyre, or or Lebanon, is up north above Israel on the coast. And we learn that Hiram and King David, the, the previous king of Israel, they had been good friends back in the day. And so when Hiram finds out, ah, Solomon is king now, well, he sends him a congratulations message, just like our politicians do today, except they do it on Twitter. Uh, And why Solomon, he sees this as an opportunity, this message from Hiram. So what does he do? Solomon sends a message back. And he says, thanks, Hiram. Hey, remember remember how David, my dad, and you were good mates back in the day? Well, why don't we keep the good vibes going that you guys used to have and listen to this sweet deal that I've got for you? So Hiram, up there in Lebanon, you guys, you guys have the best trees, the best wood in all the world. How about you hook me up with some of those trees, some of that wood, and I'll look after you, Solomon says. Uh, Look at chapter 5, verse 4. He says, not in those words, he says, The Lord my God has now given me rest all around. There is no enemy or crisis. So now is the time. I plan to build a temple for the name of Yahweh my God. And here it is again according to what the Lord promised, my father David. David, God says, I will put your son on the throne in your place and he will build a temple for me. Therefore, Hiram, command that cedars be cut down for me. So here, Solomon is taking us back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Do you remember, that's one of those key passages in all the Bible. 2 Samuel 7, in that chapter, David wanted to make a house or a temple for God in Jerusalem. Instead of just a tent, which they had before, the tabernacle, which Israel would use to worship God. But God said to David, I like where your heart is at, David, but here's my plan. Here's my promise to you. I will build your house. That is your dynasty. 
I will put your son on the throne and it's him. He will build a temple for me. Now that time has come, Solomon says. God is fulfilling his promise. And so Hiram, I need a big stack of wood, says Solomon, and I'll pay you handsomely. It's a win-win situation for both of us. And so what does King Hiram say? He says, yes, you've got a deal, Solomon. And they get their forces uh, together, their workforces together, and they start the work preparing all the stone and wood, all the building materials. And it all goes so smoothly for Solomon, doesn't it? Like a well-oiled machine. Why? We'll look at chapter 5, verse 21. It all happens like this because... Uh, sorry, chapter, chapter 5, verse 12. It all happens because the Lord gave Solomon wisdom. Wisdom to do good politics even. As he had promised him. God is keeping his word. He is fulfilling his promise. So with everything ready and prepared, now Solomon gets to phase two, the actual building of the temple in chapter six and seven. Now there's heaps of detail uh, about all the measurements, materials and design in these chapters. We can't delve into it all now. But there's three parts to the work. First, we have the temple itself, the building, the structure and the inside of it. And we get this full description in chapter six. What is this temple like? Well, first of all, it's big. It's two or three times the size of the tabernacle, the tent they had before. It's big and it's made of fine stone. Here's a picture. On the outside, it's a big, on the outside there's a big altar for sacrifices and kind of side chambers for storage. But on the inside, that's what really counts. Inside, the whole interior is covered in wood and then all that wood is engraved beautifully And then it's covered in gold. It's big and it's lavish and it's rich. There's this kind of big main uh, outer room of the temple, the holy place, where the priests would go in and do their ministry to God and for the people. But then there was this inner room behind the doors, the most holy place, the place where God's glory would dwell. This is where the Ark of the Covenant the symbol of God's presence and his throne and his promises would go. And then in that room, there's these huge cherubim statues and their wings fill the room. And again, everything is covered in gold. It's rich and lavish and glistening and majestic. And it's all meant to be worthy, worthy of the one true, holy and powerful God. It's all meant to show that God is the true king and he rules from his throne in heaven. It's all meant to remind Israel that God is holy and they are not. This is the place of God's presence on earth. This is the place of God's forgiveness where Israel could meet with God and have their sins forgiven as they offered sacrifices. So verse 38, look at that verse. Chapter 6, 38. Through Solomon's wisdom and hard work in just seven years. Seven years, the temple, the building itself, is done. So far, so good. Uh, Chapter 7 goes on to describe then the building of a new palace complex uh, right next to the temple. And again, it's big and lavish and rich, just like the temple. And so it shows that Solomon is really serious 
about establishing himself as king and being a faithful and wise king who will judge and rule faithfully. Next in uh, chapter 7, we hear about all the bronze and the gold work that's done for the temple. Uh, There's these huge bronze pillars out the front. Uh, There's a huge water tank. Uh, And then there's 10 little uh, water, water carts. And there's countless other bits and pieces all for doing the animal sacrifices and the like. And what's the point of all that? Well, again, it's rich and lavish. There's so much bronze, they don't even bother weighing it or counting it. This is a temple fit for the one true God. And so all this work happens until finally, in verse 51 of chapter 7, it says, All the work for the Lord's temple was completed. Wise King Solomon has done it. So now there's one thing left to do. Phase three, throw a party. Uh, To have a proper dedication and opening ceremony like the Olympics. Uh, But it's for the temple. And so that's what Solomon does in chapter 8. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Opening ceremonies I often find quite boring, but this one is amazing. The ceremony begins with a huge crowd of Israel gathered together And first things first, it's time for the Ark of the Covenant to be brought in. And so they have this procession through the streets of Jerusalem. They pick up the Ark and as they move through the streets, they're celebrating and sacrificing animals. And then verse 6, they get to the temple doors. And in go the priests and they take the Ark to its rightful place, right in to the inner room of the temple, the most holy place. And there it rests. It's the symbol of God's presence and throne and promises in the throne room of God where it belongs. And then something amazing happens. God himself turns up. Look at chapter 8 verse 10. We get God's confirmation, his stamp of approval on this temple. Chapter 8 verse 10. When the priests came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the Lord's temple. And because of the cloud, the priests were not able to continue ministering for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. God's glory in the form of a thick cloud fills the temple. And so it's God saying, this is my new home. God promised he would dwell with his people. And this is him saying, this is the place. This is the new place my glory will dwell with my people. Now, sadly, at times, Israel have misunderstood this, what's happening here. It's not that God in all his fullness and all his power can fit in a building. He doesn't live in a box, even as good as this box is, the temple. Uh, This is really important. In just a few verses down, Solomon himself recognizes this and how as great and wonderful as this temple is, It's silly to think that the God of the universe can be contained in it. Look in chapter 8, verse uh, 27. Solomon says, But will God indeed live on earth? No. Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. God is infinite and uncontainable, yet... He chooses for something of his glory, some part of his presence 
to live in this temple. As, as a powerful sign and reminder, I am with my people, he says. And so Solomon, he's just overwhelmed with the goodness and glory of God. And so he gives his opening speech. <clears throat> What's the message of his speech? Praise God. Why? Well, again, because he has fulfilled his promises. So look again at chapter 8, verse 20. The Lord has fulfilled what he promised. I have taken the place of my father, David. I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. I have built the temple for the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And then Solomon's speech, uh, giving glory to God, he then turns it into a long prayer to God. And again, we don't have time to look at it all. It goes for quite a while. But here's a few highlights. He starts off again praising God for keeping his covenant, his promises. Look at chapter 8, verse 23. Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or earth below, keeping the gracious covenant or promises with your servants who walk before you with their whole heart. You have kept what you promised to your servant, my father David. You spoke directly to him and you fulfilled your promise by your power as it is today. Do you see? It just keeps coming up again and again. God has kept his amazing promises to his people. And so as the prayer goes on, Solomon calls on God to keep keeping his promises, to keep that promise that he would bless his people Israel as they pray, particularly towards this new temple. And he asks God to hear from heaven when they pray towards that temple and to answer their prayers, prayers for justice, prayers for help, Prayers for forgiveness. And then once Solomon has finished praying, well, now it's time for celebration. Solomon turns to the crowd and he says in verse 56, May the Lord God be praised. He has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has said. Not one of the good promises he has made through his servant Moses has failed. Again, God has kept his word. He has fulfilled all his promises. And this temple, it's like the pinnacle of it all so far. And so they have a party. They celebrate for many, many days. And then at the end of it all, we get verse 66. It says, So they, Israel, blessed the king and went home to their tents, rejoicing and with joyful hearts for all the goodness that the Lord had done for his servant David. And for his people, Israel. The temple is built. God has kept his promises. Israel is rejoicing. And wise Solomon has done it all. Then finally we get phase four. After it's all done in chapter nine, the Lord himself speaks. And he responds to Solomon for all that he has done. What, God, what does God have to say to Solomon after all of this? Look at chapter 9, verse 3. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and petition you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple you have built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. 
How wonderful would it have been for Solomon to hear those words from God himself? All the work is done, all for God's glory, and he is pleased. He is glorified. But God says more because what God does next is he takes the promise that he made to David and he gives the same promise to Solomon. Look at verse 4. He says, if you walk faithfully like David did, then verse 5, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, Solomon. As I promised your father David, you will never, to have, never fail to have a man, a son, on the throne of Israel. So far, so good, Solomon. Keep it up and I will keep my promise to you. And then God finishes with that stern warning and reminder as well, as he often does throughout the Old Testament. This temple is majestic and wonderful. Yes, Solomon, you are a wise king, but it will all come crumbling down if you turn away from me. And in the next two weeks, we'll see how Solomon goes living up to all of this. But it's worth now stepping back from the story to think just for a moment about how this relates to us. Why? Why? Because no temple stands in Jerusalem today for us to go to to worship God. So what does it all mean for us today as followers of Jesus? Well, there are so many things that we could take from these chapters. But there's two big ways that God fulfills the very same promises that we see in these chapters. He fulfills those same promises for us. And the first is the promise of a king. Here in 1 Kings, Solomon is king and he is the son of David, as God promised. But even with Solomon's greatest achievement, the temple, God's promises, God promises a greater king, a king who would reign forever. And so along comes Jesus of Nazareth, a descendant of David, our promised king. And his greatest achievement, not building a temple, it's dying for all our sin and rising again, victorious over death, to reign over all things for all eternity. That is a far bigger achievement, isn't it? So King Solomon here, he should give us a greater appreciation of Jesus, our King. As great as Solomon is, Jesus himself says about himself, someone greater than Solomon is here. The one who would reign over all, even death, for all eternity. So let Solomon, King Solomon, give you a greater appreciation of King Jesus. But the second promise fulfilled for us today is the promise of a temple. The promise that God would dwell with his people. And the New Testament actually has so much to say about how Jesus fulfills everything about the temple. But the main thing that we see in the last few moments we have together, the main thing we see is this profound truth, that Jesus is our temple. What does John's gospel say? John 1 says, Jesus is God made flesh. He is the temple. He is God come to dwell on earth amongst us. And what did Jesus say? He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it back in three days. But he wasn't talking about the temple of stone that he was standing in. No, he was talking about his body. About the fact that through, his, uh, through 
uh, his coming death and resurrection, we can come to God through him. We can know God through him, forgiven, saved, and even have God's Holy Spirit dwell in us. Not in a building, in us, his church. So Solomon's temple gives us a greater appreciation of Jesus, our temple. And it should fill us with joy, shouldn't it? Joy and trembling. That he, the holy God of all, would fulfill his promise and make a way for us to know and worship him through Jesus, through his son, as we come to him. And that he would even cause his spirit to dwell in us. That is something amazing to give thanks to God for and to grow ever more in our appreciation for our King and our temple, our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we give you thanks for the account of Solomon and the temple he built, that he was obedient to you and that you were fulfilling his, uh, your promises to your people. We praise and thank you for this wonderful uh, example we have and that it points us forward to our Lord Jesus, our great King and our temple, the one through whom we approach you with confidence, knowing our sin is forgiven and we can call you our Father. Father, please help us to understand and find joy in our King and temple, the Lord Jesus, more and more. And we pray for his glory and in his name. Amen.